Good morning. Happy Sabbath. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> I was wondering how many people will be here today because of the holidays. I figured there'll be a lot of visitors. So if you are visiting, welcome and happy Sabbath. Uh, my name is Genesis. As you heard in the introduction, I'm not a pastor or theologian. I'm just a nurse who preaches. So I, you could say that I'm a purse. <laughs> but I am thankful to be here today, and uh, it's always exciting to share God's word. Somebody asked, what is my specialty in preaching? And I don't think I have a specialty, except I love to teach. Um, I love teaching, um, even at work as a nurse. I like to precept students. It's always fun to teach. And so I like to make messages as simple as possible that even kids could understand it. But not just kids, literally, but children of the faith. Amen? Amen. When I was uh, uh, an early on preacher, I got so excited, I would just unload everything I knew about Daniel and Revelation and sanctuary, and I didn't realize that I would overwhelm sometimes people. And so I realized that sometimes the best messages are the most simple ones. Amen? Today, we're going to talk about they will know us by our love. We just celebrate Thanksgiving. The holidays are here. It's all about family and loved ones. And a church is composed of family, friends, and loved ones. Amen? And Jesus said, this is how all men will know that you are my disciples on a condition. And that condition is if... We have love for one another. Let's pray. Loving Father, thank you for this time to share your word. I pray that you speak through me, that Christ would be glorified as we talk about practical ways to show what it means to show love towards one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's that text in John 13, verse 35. Jesus says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if, condition, you have love for one another. I'm going to show you a statistic and it may not be the most accurate statistic, but it has a point. So, so take what I say with a grain of salt. <laughs> and it's this one. Out of 100 people, how many will read their Bible? One will read their Bible, and the other 99 will do what? Read the Christian. Out of 100 people, now, that might not be the most accurate statistic, but there is a point. <laughs> and the point being is this. The vast majority of the world is not reading their Bibles. The vast majority of the world is not here at Avent Hope worshiping with us, and the vast majority of the world is not listening to Audioverse. The vast majority of the world is not doing those things, but we are here, amen? And we are reading our Bibles, we are studying the Word, but the world is not reading their Bibles. What are they reading? They are reading us. The world is watching us. And so that's why the Bible says that we are witnesses for God, amen? Jesus says that we are the light of the world. We are to show the world what God is like. And so there's a Bible text in 2 Corinthians. The Bible says that you are a living epistle, or another word for epistle is a letter. It says you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by how many men? All men. Clearly you are an epistle or a letter of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, and that is of the heart. The world is watching us. They are reading us. And the world is very observant. Sometimes when you think the world's not observing, they are observing. So I have a couple stories to share. Uh, several years ago, in my early 20s, I was super zealous for the gospel. Amen? <laughs> but I was a little too excited. My friends and I, we, uh, we, we all got super excited for the Word of God. We were going to youth conferences. And you know, I had gone to public school my whole life. Southern was the only Adventist school I'd been to. But prior to that, I've only gone to public school. And um, I had never really experienced peer pressure so much in, in high school. <laughs> and I think it's because by God's grace, he sheltered me. 
But at the same time, you know, when, when you don't get invited to parties or, or stuff like that, uh, it's easier to avoid the peer pressure. <laughs> and so by God's grace, he helped me to not be popular enough to go to parties. <laughs> and so I didn't have to experience the peer pressure. But in my early 20s, I did have some kind of peer pressure. And some might say this is a good kind of peer pressure. All my friends and I, we were on fire for God. We had studied the books of Daniel and Revelation, specifically Daniel 2, 7 and Revelation 13. We had studied the sanctuary. We had studied you know, the gift of prophecy. We studied the health message. And together we pressured each other. Let's all become vegan. <laughs> and so, and so we, we, we pressured each other and we would preach. And every Sabbath, every Friday and every Saturday was actually um, the most busy day of the week for us because we were uh, a bunch of young guys and, and ladies uh, going from church to church, doing revival services, leading out Vespers, Sabbath school, doing outreach, and whatnot. So I started working for this facility, this nursing facility, um, and I was very zealous, but I didn't want to tell everybody that I was involved with ministry for maybe a couple of reasons. One is I didn't want to misrepresent the gospel by saying, hey, everybody, I'm involved with ministry, and then what if, what if I mess up? <laughs> what if I'm not the, the best you know, employee there? And the other thing was, you know, I was kind of, I was kind of struggling with, should I ask for Sabbath off or not? <laughs> After all, this is a healthcare facility. Should I tell my boss that I want to have Sabbath off? Should I say it? And so I ended up deciding, you know, I would just probably maybe keep these things to myself. Well, the lady who does my schedule, just out of friendly conversation, she said, hey, what do you do on the weekends? <laughs> What do you do on your free time when you're not at work? What do you do for fun? And I said, you know, funny you should ask. <laughs> you know, every Friday and Saturday is my busiest day of the week. I told her we would lead out this thing called Vespers, this thing called Sabbath School. We would preach and we would do outreach, knocking on doors. We would hand out um, Bible literature. She was not an Adventist, but she was God-fearing. And she was impressed by that. A few days later, she came up to me at work and said, you know what, Genesis? I want to support your ministry and what you're doing. She said, I'm going to make sure that you have every Friday and Saturday off. And that permitted me to be involved with the ministry that I was a part of, and I was excited. But keep in mind, I was working at a place where it had to be rotated. You had to work four days off or two, work for four off or two. I was one of the few who actually had a set schedule from Sunday through Thursday. And so one day, this caught on to my coworkers. <laughs> I was sitting in, in the break room during, during lunch, eating my lunch, and my coworkers asked me a question. They said, Genesis, can we ask you a question? I'm like, uh, go ahead. <laughs> they asked me, are you a Seventh-day Adventist? And I said, oh, well, what well, give it away? <laughs> they said two things. So number one, they said, you never work on Saturday. I'm like, okay, well, that's a good observation. <laughs> What's the second one? They said, the second thing is, you don't eat meat. You're a vegetarian. <laughs> and they put the two together, and they decided, you know what? You don't work on Sabbath, and you, you're a vegetarian. You must be an Adventist. And it made me think, you know, people are observant of the things that we do. Even if we try to hide it, even if we try not to say anything, the world is observant. Fast forward, I'm now working as a nurse in the hospital, and there's many of us here who are in the medical field, right? Either you're working in the medical field or a lot of us are studying to be in the medical field, amen? <laughs> and if you're not, that's okay. The principle still applies. But sometimes work in the medical field can be good. You know, sometimes there are calm days. 
they say you're never supposed to say. Well, it's a quiet day. So you're, you're, you're never supposed to say that, right? But sometimes there are calm days, but sometimes there are days, how should I say it, that are a bit more challenging, stressful, or lack of a better word, chaotic. <laughs> and sometimes that could be because your, your patients are unstable or you know, just a lot of things are going on. And by God's grace, I try to you know, de-escalate things, not escalate things. And so when I talk to patients that are, that are hangry, they've been NPO all night, so they want to eat, <laughs> I try to de-escalate things, right? Or you talk to a family on the phone, they're worried, you reassure them that, you know, by God's grace, the doctors and nurses are doing their best to take care of their loved one. And I remember getting off the phone one time, it was maybe a more stressful, chaotic day, I got off the phone, and the charged nurse came up to me and said, Genesis, how do you do it? How do you remain calm in a stressful environment? And then she asks, is it because you go to church? Is it because you pray? And I don't announce these things like, oh, hey, everybody, I, I, I preach and I go to church. And all that. But the thing is, people are observant. They observe what you eat and what you don't eat. They observe the days that you work and the days that you don't work. They observe your attitude and how you handle yourself in stressful environments. Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I'm wondering, how much more things are people observing, but they're just not saying it? Do they see Jesus in the way that I conduct myself? Do they see Jesus in the way that I treat others and the words that I speak? This is how the world will know that we are God's disciples when we show love for one another. A lot of times we think that witnessing is this intuitive, assertive, you know, deliberate way of witnessing, right? And one way to witness is maybe homeless feeding, which is good, or maybe knocking on doors or handing out literature, inviting people to church or to Bible study, which are all great things. But there is another way to witness, and it's sometimes it's not the most direct approach. It's just the way how we conduct ourselves in a day-to-day -day life and the way that we treat each other. The world is observant in how we treat one another. So let's keep on reading. These are familiar texts, but I want to show you guys... Um, I don't know if this is working. Does it work? Well, if you have your Bibles, <laughs> go to Matthew chapter 5. There we go. These are familiar texts, but I want us to, to really look into these things here. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 5. I love the Sermon on the Mount. Um, you have three chapters that are uninterrupted by Jesus. It's all in red. So if Jesus had anything to say, it was in these chapters. And my, probably my favorite part of the Sermon on the Mount is the Beatitudes, but we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 43. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43. And Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall what, everyone? Love your neighbor. Well, that's easy to do. And hate your enemies. But I say to you, love who? Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Bless those who do what? Curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who do what? Spitefully use you and persecute you. Have mercy. So, you know, it's easy to love those who love us, right? But the gospel is about going beyond. You see, every religion and every faith has their own thing. Everybody loves their own. Everybody respects their own. Everybody greets others who greets them. But Jesus is saying, you are Christians. 
You are a light to the world. You are to be different from everybody else. What is going to differentiate you from the world? And we have some things that do differentiate us, but according to this context, what's going to make us stand out is the way that we treat others. Now, it's easy to love those who love us, but what about those who hate us? Notice what Jesus says here in verse 46. For if you love those who love you, then pretty much what's the big deal, right? <laughs> Jesus says, then what reward do you have? Then he says, don't even the tax collectors do the same? And the word tax collector there simply means an unbeliever, right? Jesus says, if you love those who simply love you back, how much different are you from the world? Everybody can do that. That's, that's not hard to do. Verse 47, and if you greet your brethren, I think not too long ago we were greeting each other, happy Sabbath, right? We're greeting each other, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, which is a good thing to do. If you greet your brethren only, Jesus says, then what do you do more than others? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Then he says in verse 48, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And it makes me think, this idea of perfection, to be like God, to be like the Father, to be perfect. If you read the same Sermon on the Mount in Luke's account, um, he talks about, be ye merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. And I wonder if there is a similarity between being merciful and being loving and perfect just as God in heaven is perfect. Jesus says, don't just love the people who love you, but love who? Your enemies. <laughs> and you think to yourself, how do I do that? And why is God asking me to do something that is very difficult? Sometimes it's easy to do everything else, but to love my neighbors, I could do that. But to love my enemies, that is a very, very hard thing to do. Why is God asking me to do this? And what's the reason? What's the answer? Verse 48. What does God want us to be? Perfect like who? Our Father in heaven is perfect. So, so how is loving my enemies going to make me like my Father? Well, think about it. Anything that God asks you to do, He has already done it or is currently doing it. So if God is saying, I want you to love your enemies, it's like, God, I don't want to love my enemies, but I want you to be like me. In what ways has God loved his enemies? He sends the rain and the sun, right, to shine on both good and evil. But did you know that at one point you and I were the enemies of God? Did you know that at one point, the Bible says in Romans, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. At one point, we were at war with God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, that the carnal mind is enmity against God and is not subject to the law of God and neither indeed can be. Our carnal mind is naturally at war with God. We are naturally, at one point, apart from Christ, the enemies of God. Not that he wants to be our enemy, but we were at enmity with him, against him. And so while we were sinners and while we were the enemies of God, Jesus died for us. And so when the Bible says, love your enemies, love those who hate you, is because God loved us when we hated him. When the Bible says to bless those who curse you, because when we were cursing God, God was blessing us. And when we were, you know, using God, God was praying for us. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. He was also including us. 
He was praying on our behalf. Jesus lives to intercede for us, and he loves us. And so when God is calling us to love our enemies, it's because that's what he has been doing and is still doing. Amen? And it's because of his goodness, that is why we are here today. The Bible says, I think it's in Romans 2 verse 4, it says, Do you not know that it is the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance? The reason why I am preaching here today is because of the goodness of God. The reason why you are sitting there today is because of the goodness of God. And those listening on the audio verse, it's because of the goodness of God. The reason why we are drawn in is because of God's mercy, his love, and his goodness. And we are recipients of that goodness, and God simply wants us to share that goodness with others. You see, the Bible says to taste and see that the Lord is good. What is your favorite restaurant? You know, in my previous bio, I said that I was a foodie, and I am a foodie. I love to eat. And uh, some people ask, like, why do you go to the gym? Why do you exercise, you know? And the good Adventist answer is, my body is a temple of God, right? And I got to take care of the body. And also, you know, not just the body, but it's good for the mind, right? You know, as an introvert, I love to just go running and biking by myself, and it, it frees up my mind. But another good reason why to exercise is because the more calories you burn, the more you eat at potluck. <laughs> so... Don't wait till New Year's to exercise. Start at sunset, right? So, um, so, it, it's, so we're looking at the, what the Bible says. And so God is teaching us to love one another, amen? Love our enemies and to bless those who curse us. This is what God does for us. He loves us. We are the enemies of God, and yet he extended his grace towards us. And as a result, we are here. So, okay, I got lost in my thoughts. I'm back. So... Your favorite restaurants. If you go to your favorite restaurant, sometimes you go on Yelp, like, is this restaurant any good? <laughs> but let's say you go to a restaurant, and, you know, I love Thai food. Anyone here like Thai food? As I love Thai food. And, you know, I love the curries. I love the, the pad to you and the, you know, the pad thai and the, the masama curry. You know, all those curries. You guys are getting hungry. But I love to eat. And um, imagine you go to a restaurant, and you taste and see that the food is good. So next time when your friends are like, hey, we should go somewhere to eat, you would recommend something that you are familiar with. You can't recommend something that you have not experienced. You can only recommend what you have experienced. And so it is with the gospel. When you have tasted and seen and experienced the goodness of God, when you've had the encounter with Christ, then at that point is when you could actually share Christ with others. And so we are being told that we should share the gospel with others. Amen? So with that being said, let's move on. Go with me to your Bible, to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. I've shared this with my friends the other day, but I would like to share it with you guys as well. This is a familiar passage, something that we're not strangers to. Revelation chapter 3 talks about, you know, the churches, right? And one of those churches is the... Laodicean church. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm kind of rusty in this, but from my understanding, this is an understanding of you know, the time periods, right? And some would say that we are living at this time of the Laodicean church. God is, you know, you know he's kind of rebuking some of these churches and saying their, their pros and cons. And so let's take a look at the Laodicean church for just a second. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. The Bible says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write this, these things says the amen, 
the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know your works, that you are neither what, everyone? Cold or hot, right? I wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are what, everyone? Lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will do what? I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I read the Bible, I try to imagine what I'm reading. And that's easier to do when you're reading the Old Testament. You know, the stories. Especially if you have like an audio Bible with the sound effects. And you're, you know, you're reading the story of uh, Daniel and the lion's den. And I could just picture, I'm in the lion's den with Daniel. I could see the lion, right? Or you're imagining the story of uh, David and Goliath. And you're standing in the crowd and you see the giant going down, right? Or fast forward to the, to the gospel. Jesus is preaching Sermon on the Mount on the, the green hills. And you're thinking, well, what are those hills? Maybe they're like holy crooks on a good day, right? It's the green hills. And he's preaching on the rolling hills. The Sermon on the Mount. When I read these stories in the Bible, I try to picture what I'm reading. When it comes to Revelation, though, <laughs> when I'm trying to read the book of Revelation, sometimes I get lost. I'm like, what, what am I reading? <laughs> what, what, what am I seeing here? And it makes me ask some questions. And so I'm looking at this, and the Bible says, speaking of Laodicean church, God says, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold, but you are what? You are lukewarm, okay? That makes sense. But then God says something very interesting. Because you're lukewarm, what will he do? He will spit you out, or in this version, vomit you out of his mouth. Now, as a nurse, I don't really take issue with that because a lot of times my patients get nauseated and they vomit. And so you just put, you just give them some Zofran, right? <laughs> and if you don't have it, you just you ask the doctor for the order to help them with their nausea. But I, I, I was reading this passage, and I'm wondering, why does John, the author of, the, of Revelation, why does he say that God will spit us out or vomit us out of his mouth? Like, why? <laughs> now, I understand the whole hot and cold thing, right? You're, you're, you're not really on fire for God, but you're not really you know, out of the faith or out of the church. You're still maybe somewhat religious, but you're not really, you're on the fence. You're, you're not hot you're not really cold, but you're kind of in the middle. But then God says, because you're lukewarm, he will spit you out of his mouth. And I wonder, what does that even mean, spit us out of his mouth? Why are we there in the first place? So I was thinking about that, and we'll come back to that. But let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. We'll come back to this. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that you are the light of the world. Amen? You got to let your light so shine. But before he even says that, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, he says something else. You are the salt. He says, You are the salt of the earth. Now, you think about salt. What is salt good for? Right? We just had Thanksgiving. And if the tofurkey was too dry or if the tofurkey was uh, not flavorful enough, you put some salt to enhance the flavors, right? So salt is used to enhance flavor. Jesus says you are the salt. Perhaps what he means to say is that we are here to show people that the gospel, we have tasted it and seen it for ourselves, and the gospel is flavorful. It's something that is attractive. What else is salt used for? It's a preservative, right? And you think about the story in the Old Testament about how God was going to pass judgment on, on the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And before he did so, Abraham was interceding, right? So, Lord, if there's 50 righteous, will you not spare the city? And God's like, okay, for 50, I will spare it. And then he bargained with God all the way down to, I think it was like 10. 
Lord, for ten righteous, would you spare the city? And God agreed. Sadly, there weren't at least ten, and the cities were destroyed. But it goes to tell you that sometimes the wicked are spared because of the presence of the righteous. And perhaps God has you at your work or your school or somewhere in life where you're thinking, why does God have me here? But maybe God has you there for the very purpose of preserving people. And when I say preserving, what I mean to say is God has you there for the purpose of witnessing. I have a story that I will share about in a little bit about that. But perhaps God has placed you somewhere for such a time that you would share the gospel with that coworker, with that patient, with that supervisor, with that friend. God must have you there for a reason. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. But what happens if the salt loses its flavor? How shall it be seasoned? What will happen to the salt? It is therefore what? Good for nothing, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And I'm thinking, this is very interesting. In some versions, it'll say it's cast out. Is there a correlation between this passage and the Laodicean church? You see, the Laodicean church was neither a hot nor cold they were kind of religious, but they weren't on fire for God. They were not fully in, but they were not fully out. They were lukewarm. And God says that he will spit them out. But the salt, which is also a representation of the church, to be a salt to the world, it's salty, but yet it has no flavor. So it, it, it kind of mimics, but then it's kind of not fully there. <laughs> what will happen to that salt? In the same way, like the Laodicean church, it is spit out. It's cast out. Salt goes where? On your food. And the food goes in your mouth. <laughs> and I think, I was trying to put these things together. Like, you know, is there a connection with, like, you know, if you taste the food and it's not salty, the salt's good for nothing, and you spit it out. Is there a correlation between this passage and the one about Laodicea? Well, one of my favorite authors seems to think so. And she says in the book, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, talking about the passage we just read, Jesus added the solemn warning. If the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. So we just read that in, in Matthew chapter 5, right? But notice this. Next paragraph, she says, As they listened to the words of Christ, the people could see the white salt glistening in the pathways where it had been cast out because it had lost its savor and was therefore useless. It well represented the who? Condition of the Pharisees and the effect of their religion upon society. It represents the life of every soul from whom the power of the grace of God has departed and who has become, two words, cold and Christless. Whatever may be his profession, such a one is looked upon by men and angels as insipid and disagreeable. It is to such that Christ says, I would that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. So she makes a connection. And what she's saying is this, that the lukewarm church has a condition like that of a Pharisee. And what were the Pharisees? The two words, the two sad words, they became cold and Christless. Is it possible to be religious 
But yet, the way we treat one another could be cold or Christless. This was a condition of the Pharisees, and this is the condition of salt that has lost its flavor. It's kind of in there, it's kind of religious, but it's not fully in, on fire and loving, and so they're kind of not, they're out. So they're not hot, they're not cold, but they are lukewarm. And this is the condition of the Pharisees, and this is the condition of a cold and Christless position. You know, Jesus also said that in the last days, the love of many will wax cold. That might be the world, but it should not be for God's people. Amen? As the people of God, we are to love one another. Why? What did Jesus say? This is how all men will know that you are my disciples on a condition if you love one another. When we show love towards one another, we are showing to the world that we are the disciples of Jesus. We are showing to the world that God is love. So you see, the, the world is, is constantly observing. They, they know what you're eating, what you're not eating. They know what days you're working, what days that you're not working. They can see how you handle yourself in stress. But can they also see how we treat one another? We got to love one another. One of my uh, favorite preachers a long time ago, he was giving a Bible study. And he was just giving an illustration, so it's not specific to any church. But he said, is it possible that you can go to church and sit on one side of church, and there's somebody that you have, you know, beef against, <laughs> sitting at the other end of the church, but you're both singing the hymns, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. <laughs> but yet we don't know how to put aside petty indifferences. We hold on to grudges. They, they, they park in your parking spot. They cut in line at the potluck or whatever the case is, right? We hold on to these indifferences or maybe some of those things are miscommunications. But we hold on to these things and because of it, we cause grudges. And God is asking us, you know what? Maybe perhaps we need to learn how to be more loving. We need to learn how to be more forgiving. You know, one of the most dangerous things is probably this thing called gossiping. You know, a lot of times gossip or whispering is, you know, we're talking about, it's not really good news, right? You're not like, hey, did you hear? So-and-so got promoted. Praise the Lord, right? It, it's, it's, <laughs> gossip is not really like that. <laughs> we're, we're not really celebrating people, but in terms of gossip, a lot of times it's, you know, have you heard these bad things? And then we tend to take that little thing and then exaggerate it and make it worse. And what ends up happening is you have drama and friction and it all starts with something small. And these little things is what can tear a church apart. But remember what Jesus said, I keep repeating it. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And one of the ways to love one another, as my friend said it this way, turn your, your beef into veggie beef. <laughs> Anything that you are offended by, you know, if we need to learn how to love and forgive, amen? <laughs> We need to learn how to put aside these indifferences that divide the church. You know, some of my favorite churches to go to are actually the, the small churches. You know, they're small, and they may not be, you know, the nicest building or the nicest anything. But what will make you want to stay at a church, you may not remember the sermon. You may not remember my name. But if you're a visitor, you'll remember if the church made you feel loved and welcomed. That's how the world will know. And that's what God is asking us to do. So fast forward, um, it is in our nature, though, to want to fight, right? It is in our nature to want to retaliate. When somebody is mean to us, 
when somebody annoys us, when somebody does something that offends us, the natural reaction is to get revenge. I don't know if I shared the story before, but I'll just repeat it anyway. I remember one time I was driving home from Arizona, and it was late at night, it was already dark, and it's like a five-hour drive, and um, I was tired. And if you've ever driven from like Arizona back to Loma Linda, you know that you're out in the middle of the desert. And if you don't get gas, then you might get stranded in the middle of nowhere. So I saw a gas station. I decided, you know what, I better go get some gas. And um, as I was exiting, you know, I was tired. And there was a stop sign on the off-ramp, but there was no stop sign for the oncoming traffic. And so you had to yield. And I miscalculated the speed of the other car. And so I went. And essentially what I did was I cut him off. <laughs> and he was upset. And he let me know that he was upset. <laughs> and he followed me to the gas station. And I'm thinking, Lord have mercy, we're in the middle of the desert. <laughs> and I, I have, I'm running out of gas, so I can't just get away from him, right? I have to go to the gas station. <laughs> and I, we go to the gas station, and I'm like, oh, Lord, like, he's coming. I, I'm starting to quote all these Bible texts, the angel of the Lord, and campeth around about those, right? I'm like, Lord, please protect me, and uh, please neutralize this. And he drives up to my window, and he rolls down his window, I roll down mine, and he's very upset, and he lets me know that he's upset. And he's like, hey, you know, you, you cut me off back there, and yada, yada, yada. And I think he was expecting me to retaliate and to, like, say something back, because, like, he was like, he looked like he wants to pounce. Like, he was just really, just really upset. And I had already prayed, and I knew I was at fault. And I said to him, you know what? You're right. I cut you off. I shouldn't have done that, and I'm sorry. And he was like... <laughs> and I think I caught him off guard because he, he was expecting to hear something else, and he couldn't say anything, and all he said was, well, you shouldn't have done that, and he drove off. <laughs> but what, I, what I'm thinking is that, you know, it's within our nature to want to fight back. Even if we're the ones that are wrong, we want to fight back. And you watch the news, you watch on social media how a lot of things go wrong over something so small that could have been neutralized. And a lot of times, we cherish our pride more than we cherish relationships. Sometimes because of pride, we don't want to greet somebody. Sometimes because of pride, we want to hold on to a grudge. Sometimes because of pride, we want to you know, cherish negative feelings. But God has called us to a higher standard. And the higher standard is, when those curse you, you bless them. When they use you, you pray for them. When, you hate, when they hate you, you love them because he's asking us to be like him. And then Jesus says, if you do these things, you'll be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, when you can show love towards your enemies. Amen? Well, another story I have. <laughs> so remember how I said earlier that maybe God has you somewhere that you don't maybe like, but there might be a reason why God has you there, right? And I might have shared the story, but it bears repeating. The same place that I was working at, I told you guys earlier, I was working at this facility, and I had this very mean supervisor, right? <laughs> that was, you know, always hovering over me and pointing at all my mistakes. Like, Genesis, you did this wrong. Genesis, you did that wrong. Genesis, you messed up over here. And sometimes she would exaggerate, and sometimes she would say I did something wrong, and I look, and I'm like, wait, I didn't even do anything wrong. <laughs> Why is she getting on my case? And I had to deal with her every day that I was at work. 
Once she walks in, right after she clocks in, walks over to me and, Genesis, you did this wrong. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like, this is too much. And, you know, I, I kind of don't like her. <laughs> I'm kind of upset with her. But at the same time, I'm a Christian. So what am I supposed to do about this person? Well, one day, you know, I, I was on my lunch break, and I didn't pack lunch, so I had to go, you know, um, get food outside of work. And there was this Vietnamese restaurant, you know, and, you know, besides Thai food, I love, I love Vietnamese food. I love, I love pho. Right? And so I went to this, this, this restaurant, and my coworker, she's like, oh, if you're going to go there, they have boba smoothies. Can you get me one? I'm like, sure, I'll get you one. And as I was there, I felt God impress me. Don't buy one. Buy two. Like, Lord, one for me? Like, no, not for you. <laughs> buy another one for that supervisor. I'm like, really? All right, Lord, fine, I'll do it. So I came back from, uh, from, from, from buying the stuff, and I came back with my food in hand, and I, I gave you know, the smoothie to one coworker, and then I had an extra one. And that supervisor was there, and she was being a bit sarcastic, like, oh, is that for me? And I said, as a matter of fact, it is. <laughs> and I gave it to her, and her face melted. And she started smiling, and she got embarrassed. And she was like, she was like oh, she's like, she like, you know what? And she started proclaiming to everybody on the unit, I'm always hard and mean to Genesis. But in actuality, he's a very nice guy. And from that day forward, my worst enemy became my best friend for only $4. Because the boba only cost $4 at that time. Now it's inflated. But you know what the Bible says in Proverbs? It says something about if, you're, if you have an enemy, what should you do to your enemy? Keep coals of fire. But there's another one. It says, if they're hungry, give them bread. In this case, give them boba, right? And so... You know, I, I did that, and my worst enemy became my best friend. From that day forward, she would greet me. Good morning, Genesis. How are you doing? She became my friend. I was like, wow, I should have done this a lot sooner. <laughs> but here's the, here's, the, here's the point. Later on, she found out that I'm involved with ministry, and that I speak and I give Bible studies. She said, Genesis, I heard that you preach sometimes. She said, where can I find these sermons? And she was not Adventist, she was actually Catholic. I said, oh, well, you know, these sermons are actually recorded on something called Audioverse. And she's like, oh, Audioverse, how do you spell that? And so, like, she's writing it down. And I said, you know, there's actually other sermons besides that. And she was very inquisitive about it. And it makes you think. The people that you consider to be your enemies are potentials for the kingdom of heaven. The people that persecute you, the people who annoy you, the people that get on your case, the people that you don't like because they don't like you, what if you show them the love of God? What if you show them acts of kindness? What if that acts of kindness melts their hearts and they become your friend and then they're curious about the gospel? But what if we couldn't do that if we were not willing to show love? You might have coworkers that you don't like and they don't like you. <laughs> you might have relatives that you don't like and they don't like you. You might have people in your life that you don't like and they don't like you. But perhaps for such a time as this, God has placed you in their lives to swallow your pride and to show them the love of God. Because perhaps these are potentials for the kingdom. Jesus said that the world will know 
that you are my disciples when you have love for one another. Just a few more verses before we close. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in what, everyone? Lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than who? Than himself. Let each of you look, not, look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And it also says here in Galatians 5, sometimes the words we speak can bring about division. But what does the Bible say? For all the law, Galatians 5.14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But, verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, beware you lest you be consumed by one another. And so the Bible speaks that there are certain things that can bring about division. The words that we speak, the things that we say, the things that we do could bring about division. But at the same time, by God's grace, the things that we say and the things that we do can bring about unity. We can learn to love and forgive. We can learn to reach out to our brothers and sisters that we haven't talked to in a while. We can learn how to reach out to others and to put aside petty indifferences. We're all singing the song, when we all get to heaven, may we actually mean that song, amen? Jesus is coming again, and the world wants to see what is so different about us. If we could show love towards each other and love towards our enemies, the world will see there's something different about these people, amen? Well, that kind of concludes my notes. So just, just again, I just want to encourage us, friends. You know, it's the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and whatnot. It's about family. It's about friends. But it's also about sharing the good news with others. And the way we can do that is by showing love and kindness. Amen? Let us pray. Loving Father, thank you so much for that simple message, Father, about how the world will know that we are your disciples if we show love. Father, help us to love one another. Help us to bless those who curse us and to pray for those who use us. Help us to be filled with the love of God so that we would be perfect, just as our Father in heaven is perfect, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.